0: Hello, America. Today is election day, and that means it's time to think about who you want to lead America's longest war. Yes, the war that celebrates its 30th anniversary this year. It started in 1992 when Vice President Dan Quayle attacked the fictional unwed Murphy Brown for having a baby out of wedlock. Who do you agree with? Before you cast your vote, listen to us recount the culture war between Vice President Dan Quayle and fictional character Murphy Brown on this week's This Was a Thing.
1: And I'm Rob, and you're listening to "This Was a Thing," the podcast that dives deep into the cultural happenings of yesteryear. What are we listening to? "This Was a Thing," the podcast that dives deep into the cultural happenings of yesteryear. When
0: people ask you like what you do and like what your podcast is called, do you say it like that, or do you do you say it like, "Oh, this was a thing"?
1: Oh, I I, I mean, I go into no announcer.
0: Wait, hold on, let's let's do a little role play. Hey, I'm Rob. Nice to meet you. How you doing? I'm Ray. Cool. So what do you do, Ray?
1: I kind of work from home, and then I also have a podcast. Oh, cool. What's it called? This Was a Thing, the podcast that dives deep into the cultural happenings of yesteryear. Cool. Yeah,
0: I'm, I'm going to go get some more drinks, It's okay? a retro
1: pod. Cool. Yeah. I'm
0: going to go get some more drinks.
1: Just give me a, give me a Diet Coke. I'm a teetotaler. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So today is election day, 2022. Oh, Did you vote? Of course I did. Of course you did. I'm so proud of you. Republican whole ticket. Oh, wow. It was down ballot? Down ballot. Is that what it's called? Yeah, down 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 ballot. ballot. If you voted today, then uh, maybe today's episode is going to have a little bit more significance for you because what today's episode is about is actually still in politics today. Let me ask you a question, my friend. Have you ever listened to Fox News and and they call uh, those of us in the entertainment industry the... Cultural elites? Of course. Okay. And have you ever heard anything that wasn't California or New York pejoratively called the flyover states? Which is, it's like degrading to people that live anywhere, but yeah. yeah. So it is a a culture war, my friend. It is a culture war. It is the mid-America values versus the coast values. And the first volley in the culture war, it happened in May of 1992. It was during an election year. And it is when the vice president of the United States, Dan Quayle, attacked journalist Murphy Brown for being a single mother. Here's the problem, though. What? Murphy Brown doesn't exist. She's fictional. So he attacked a fictional character for being a single mother. Let's introduce you, though, to the two people that are going to be competing against each other in in this fight of the culture wars. For the Republican side, we're going to have Dan Quayle, the vice president of the United States. And for the left side, we're going to have Murphy Brown, played by Candace Bergen. But really, the writer of that show. Diane English. So those are going to be our two sides. First, I'm going to give you a little information about Dan Quayle because he's a name that uh, sort of has slipped through the annals of time, I should say, although he did save democracy in 2020. And we're going to talk about that just a little bit later on. So folks, Dan Quayle, if you don't remember the name, if you were around in the 80s or 90s, every comedian had a punchline that involved Mr. Quayle. He wasn't the most uh, eloquent of individuals. He wasn't the most verbose of individuals. And he Kind of had a couple of gaffes here and there. He was an interesting man, much like former Vice President Mike Pence. He too was a Republican. He was from Indiana. His dad was a newspaper magnate and very successful newspaper magnate. So he didn't want to follow in his dad's footsteps. He joined the National Guard, which now people consider to be part of the draft dodging process. He became a lawyer, although he did not meet admission standards. He somehow was still able to get into law school, wonder how that happened. He was actually quite historic in Indiana history because he became one of the youngest people to ever represent state of Indiana. He was a congressman from the 4th District. And then in 1980 and 1986, he was elected and re-elected as the senator from Indiana. Oh. And he was so impressive, one, because he was the, one of the youngest senators to come from Indiana. He was like 33. He also, like, knocked out some really big party Democrats. Oh. So, Automatically, there was like this sense of him, like, oh, he's he's going to be somebody that's someone to watch. Yeah, sure. Because he was able to knock off the democratic establishment. However, he's not really someone of uh, substance per se. He didn't really get a lot accomplished in the years that he is in the Senate. If he's known for one thing in the Senate, it's like this blind loyalty not just to Ronald Reagan and the Republican Party but like the far right fringe of the Republican mm. Party so if you're wondering like like the stuff today where you might go wow I'm kind of questioning like the conservative movement and where they're going, Mm -hmm. Mr. Quayle is one of the people that laid the seeds of that very, very early on. Although now today, I'm sure he would be considered too liberal
1: for the Republican Party. He would be a rhino. So
0: 1988 is an election year, and Vice President George Bush is going to be the Republican nominee for president. So George Bush had to pick a vice president. And as we've talked about on episodes before, and you'll hear very soon on the Thomas Eagleton episode, the first big decision that a presidential candidate makes is... Picking the vice president, it's a pretty monumental decision because it means, like, this person's a heartbeat away from the presidency. And if anyone should know about vice presidents, it would be George Bush because he was doing it for eight years. And on his list was Bob Dole, senator from Kansas. Bob Dole's wife, Elizabeth Dole, who was the transportation secretary. Alan Simpson, Jack Kemp. But what Bush finally decided on was simply, I need someone who's younger, who will appeal to, like, the baby boomers. Somebody who actually leans a little bit more right than I do. And he picked Senator Dan Quayle from the great state of Indiana. And this is from the New York Times. In July 1988, Dan Quayle, then serving his second term as a senator from Indiana, appeared in the New York Times exactly and only in passing five times. A month later... He was campaigning as George Bush's running mate under the protection of a secret service. It could very well inhibit Mr. Bush's ability to move to the center. And it adds uncertainty to a ticket that had advertised its experience, competence, and steadiness. And so pretty soon the campaign became about who the fuck is Dan Quayle? much like if you remember John McCain and Sarah Palin. Palin. Who the fuck is Sarah Palin? Which doesn't really help a campaign all that much. And then pretty soon, everyone kept writing about what was known as the Quail Problems. This was, he was too young, he was too inexperienced, he was too insignificant. There was questions about his military service, like had he dodged the draft and had his daddy paid for that to happen. And what experience did he have? If you remember, if you were a Saturday Night Live fan back then, who played Dan Quayle? But a kid. They hired a kid actor to play Dan Quayle, who would come in and sit on, like, George Bush's lap, which was very, very funny. Now... There's a lot of experience here on this ticket because Bush not only was the vice president, he's also the CIA director for a yeah. long time. And on the Democratic side, the person Quay would be going up against in the debates would be Lloyd Benson, who was like a career politician and a very decorated serviceman. Now, most people don't watch vice presidential debates, or if they do, there really is it doesn't really affect the election, I think, one way or the other. Well, the thing that you take from it is that a fly landed on Mike Pence's head. I will say I don't believe that that was... True, because that fly is now Harris's chief of staff. <laughs> so I think she had something set up. That's the buzz, but the that's the buzz. That's what I'm hearing. But the most famous vice presidential debate was the one where Quayle did square off against Lloyd Benson. And in fact, when they do like at elections, and they're like, "Hey, these are the great moments from debate history." This moment is always number one. So the question came to Dan Quayle in this debate: "What experience do you have?" And Quayle said, "Hey, I have the same amount of experience and." the same age as jack kennedy when he was running for president so i don't know what the big problem is but he compared himself to john kennedy and then this was lloyd benson's response to that senator i served with jack kennedy i knew jack kennedy jack kennedy was a friend of mine senator you're no jack kennedy it wasn't, it wasn't the best, and I think later on, Bush is going to have buyer's remorse, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later on. But it didn't really matter because Bush and Quayle were elected on November 8th, 1988, and then on November 14th, 1988, just a couple of days later, something was happening over at CBS Television. It was a new show that was getting on the air, and that show was called Murphy Brown. <laughs> I'm <laughs> Murphy Brown was a sitcom about, yes, you guessed it, Murphy Brown. She was pretty much a Mike Wallace reporter in a dress. That was pretty much how she was described. She was tough as nails. She was aggressive. She was unlikable. In the first episode of the TV show, she's just come back from a stint in rehab. And she works in like a 60 minutes type television environment mm. that they call that show show. FYI. She'd be like Leslie Stahl. Yeah, but like really tough. Not (laughs) to say Leslie Stahl isn't tough, but like very unlikable. She was played by Candace Bergen, who this was also a pretty big deal at the time because Candace Bergen was known as a dramatic actress who had only done films. And a, a model, right? And a model. Now, Murphy Brown is a show, honestly, it is not on anymore because every other line was a pop culture reference so if you watch it today you're like I don't know who the hell they're talking about so unless you remember like James Watt and Leona Helmsley and Jim Wright great go watch it if you don't know who the hell I'm talking about you're going to be very confused on this show and I think it was best (laughs) summed up by believe it or not this episode of Family Guy where the actual actors from Murphy Brown showed up to do their voices oh wow well I bet if Hillary Clinton becomes senator she'll straighten it out even though she could never straighten out Bill I
1: love when you use topical humor. It's
0: just like watching
2: Murphy Brown. Hey Murphy, blah 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 Johnson O'Noo.
1: Murphy, blah
2: blah 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 Tipper Gore. Hey Murph, you can't blah 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 the Ayatollah. Blah 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 Bishop Desmond Tutu. Blah blah.
0: That is literally like (laughs) Murphy Brown. And obviously they were aware of it because all of them agreed to be on Family Guy, which I think is awesome. Now, the success of Murphy Brown... Was the writing of Diane English, who was the executive producer, creator of the show. And the performance of Candace Bergen on this is pretty epic. In fact, she won the Emmy so many times, oh, five times, okay. for playing Murphy Brown that at the after the fifth time she told the Emmy nominating committee, please don't nominate me anymore. <laughs> Let someone else have a chance at it. So now we're going to jump to 1992. Two things are going to collide with one another. Perfect for election day today. That is the re-election of George Bush, that campaign, and uh, Murphy Brown getting pregnant. Ray, what are you thankful for this month? Well, Rob, I'm thankful that we have so many great This Was a Thing
1: listeners and that so many of them financially support us so we can continue to dive as deep as we
0: can into the cultural happenings of yesteryear and support my humble habit. Want to help us be even more thankful? Head on over to patreon.com. That's p a t r e o n.com and search for This Was a Thing and set a monthly donation. Even a dollar a month helps us. Your contributions help us continue doing what we are doing and what are you doing this november rob by being thankful that we can have as much diet canned cranberry sauce as we want gotta get my p90 eximus body on Ow! pull the hamstring go lay down rob Mm. we are thankful for all of
1: you and we'll be even more thankful if you can head on over to patreon.com
0: So in 1992, George H.W. Bush was running for re-election, and here was the issue he was dealing with, if you remember. He was pretty okay in terms of, like, international things, except when he vomited on the prime minister (laughs) in Japan. Besides that, we were doing okay. But domestically, he wasn't doing so well, because if you remember during, like, April-May of 1992, which is when all this stuff is going to go down, the Rodney King verdict happened. And if you remember, Rodney King was a black motorist. He was beat to a pulp by four white police officers. The police officers had a trial. They got off. And Bush also made a lot of missteps after that because they were like, what are you going to say to these people? And he's like, the justice system worked. That's what he said. The justice system worked. And we have to respect the decision. And no one should be rioting and no one should be looting. It was a little bit of a tone deaf response. Mm -hmm. I don't think he fully encapsulated what was going on in that moment. So he decided, I'm going to have Dan Quayle be like the point person good. good 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 in trying to like rebuild and spread the message. Now, here was the major issue that we had going on right here. The major issue was the Democrats felt the way to prevent things like this from happening again was simply you have to do more funding, you have to increase welfare, you have to increase people's economic stability and if that means quote unquote handouts, that's what it's going to be. So once people felt that they were financially comfortable, they could then like go off and do things and not have to resort to crime. That sure. was the idea. The Republicans on the other side said actually it's not about the government handing out money. What it's really about is the fact that the family unit is breaking down and there's no positive role models in the community. So let's strengthen the homes these people are in. We'll create like school programs and stuff like that, but we're not going to just keep handing out money to people for them to go and do things that th- their feeling, not my their feeling was that we're going to give them money. They're going to go buy more drugs. They're going to go buy more guns. So we're not going to give them money. We're going to build from the ground up. That was the idea behind it. We're going to put a pin in this because it's going to connect itself in a second, because at the same time this is happening, Bill Clinton is running for president. And it's pretty clear that Bill Clinton is most likely going to get the nomination for the Democratic Party. And Bill Clinton has a little bit of a problem. And the problem is he cannot keep it in his pants his penis Uh, yeah buddy his his penis now that's going to alienate a lot of people and his wife uh, is a working attorney at the time her name is Hillary Clinton and people don't really like her all that much especially after she's on 60 Minutes and they ask her on 60 Minutes like hey why are you standing by your husband who's admitting that he cheats on you all the time now this was her response that angered a lot of people
2: you know I'm not sitting here as some little woman standing by my man like Tammy Wynette I'm sitting here because I love him and I respect him and I honor what he's been through and what we've been through together. And, you know, if that's not enough for people, then heck, don't vote for him.
0: So in addition to that, she also made a crack about the fact that, like, she didn't want to be like a mom who stays home all day baking cookies. Needless to say, between his immorality and the fact that she was making a dig at Homemaker's, didn't go over very well but from the bush perspective this was a boon because they're like this is this is what we'll do we'll make the campaign about family values they couldn't really make it about anything else cuz they had nothing else really to run on domestically. <laughs> what are you going to say like, "Hey, I'm sorry that there was a savings and loan scandal. I'm sorry your taxes went up after I told you I wouldn't, and I'm sorry LA is burning down." So they they couldn't run on anything, so they're like, "We'll make it about family, family values. values." And what we'll say is the reason that there's so much crap right now is because family values are deteriorating. And if you believe that, then do you really want these two people In office, the guy who can't keep it in his pants, and the woman who's saying that your life means nothing and you should have stayed home and baked cookies. Does that make sense? No, yeah. So they're going to make it about family values. At this point, they're going to then say to Quayle, you have to start going out there a little bit more and starting to promote the family values aspect of everything. All right. So now we're going to put another pin in this. All right. Okay, so now we're still in May of 1992. We've just had the riots. They've now told Quayle, you're going to be in charge of sort of cleaning up this mess and spreading our domestic agenda, which is going to be about family values. The same time of May of 1992 is happening. It's the end of the fourth season of Murphy Brown. It's a top five hit show. Everyone watches Murphy Brown. Now, at the beginning of this season, Murphy has found out that she's pregnant. She's not married. And the guy... I, well, I know she's a single mom. She's going, or maybe she'll be a single mom. The guy who's the dad is like i he he's like this underground like an Abby Hoffman type who's like always on the run from the government he's like he goes I can't settle down he goes that's not who I am so she decides I can either have an abortion or I can raise the baby on my own and she decides she's gonna raise the baby on her own now pregnancy has always been a little tricky on television if you remember like when I Love Lucy when she was pregnant they couldn't even say she was pregnant then in the 70s Maude had an abortion which didn't go over very well with the viewers and then they decided, well if Murphy gets married then the ki- then the show kind of loses its, its mm-hmm. edge. The edge, but they decided here's what she'll do. She'll just raise the baby as a single mom, which a lot of mothers, working mothers, were doing at this particular time. So on May 18th, 1992, final episode of season four, Murphy Brown gives birth to little Avery Brown, oh. a little boy, a very funny episode. And Candace Bergen Childbirth is- Childbirth is hilarious. She is so brilliant in this episode. May 19th, 1992- Dan Quayle, he's over in San Francisco, and he has to talk to the people in California about the riots and what the plans are. And he's talking about what the party message is, which is, listen, the reason that all of this is happening is because the family unit is breaking down, that, there is, that there's no strong things happening at home. And in San Francisco, while somehow he's talking about the riot as an afterthought, he says,
3: It doesn't help matters when
1: primetime TV has Murphy Brown... A character who supposedly epitomizes today's intelligent, highly paid professional woman, mocking the importance of fathers by bearing a child alone and calling it just another
0: lifestyle choice. These fucking people. Wait wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, Don't don't jump on them so, so soon. You'll do that in a minute. So in this speech, he discounted the rioters' claim that social and economic injustices confined them to a life of poverty. Once again, he said, it's because your family structure is breaking down. He sends with that simple offhanded comment, the first volley in what is going to be the culture war that we are still fighting today. Yes, Dan Quayle, he was not a fan of Murphy Brown or the cultural elite. In Hollywood, i.e. liberals. (laughs) And neither was uh, Bush's press secretary, Marlon Fitzwater, who the next day at the press conference, they were like, did did Dan Quayle just attack Murphy Brown? And Marlon Fitzwater said, quote, the glorification of the life an unwed mother does not do good service to most unwed mothers who are not highly paid, glamorous anchor women. So they're argument now is if you're going to glorify single motherhood that's awesome if you're like as rich as Murphy Brown but otherwise you might not want to be putting your two cents in later on Dan Quayle admitted that he thought in 1992 this was much later he was like I because I thought the campaign was getting off track and they didn't have a clear message and he said and they were struggling domestically and so he thought if I can make a pretty bold statement, that's going to get a lot of publicity and that's going to get a lot of traction. And now yeah, it worked. <laughs> when you, it does, when you talk about like family values comes from 1992, so much of it comes from 1992 because that was what they decided to like base an entire campaign on was it's us against them. We're right. They're sinners. Don't believe me. Open up the national Enquirer. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was the whole intention behind it. But he needed somebody to latch on to and say, you see. And so he chose Murphy Brown. Now, how do we know like all of these quotes from these people? I'll tell you why. Because on May 21st, 1992, the above the fold front page story of the New York Times was this it was a huge picture of Candace Bergen holding the baby and a picture of Quayle, and a picture of Marlon Fitzwater, and their quotes. Think of everything going on in 1992. The riots, civil unrest, Clinton being accused of all these infidelities, and the the above-the-fold New York Times is Murphy Brown, a fictional character that does not affect the price of your gasoline or the amount of your taxes, and Quayle and Marlon Fitzwater. And soon everyone had to weigh in on this debate. The best quote out of all this came from Miss uh, Diane English, the creator of Murphy Brown. She said, quote, If the vice president thinks it's disgraceful for an unmarried woman to bear a child, and if he believes that a woman cannot adequately raise a child without a father, then he better make sure abortion remains safe, And legal. So now she's attacking them. 30 years ago. And now and saying, well, do you want her to have an abortion? Would that make you happy? Then they started to move back a little bit. So the next day in the New York Times, Dan Quayle says, quote, I have the greatest respect for single mothers. They're true heroes. And Marlon Fitzwater says, quote, The Murphy Brown Show exhibits pro-life values, which uh, we think are good. Now, even though that was happening... Quayle was not backing down. He wasn't saying, hey, listen, I misspoke, I made a mistake. He was saying, no, I still believe this. I still believe, listen, if you're if you're a single mom and you're raising a kid, like more power to you, but I don't think it's a lifestyle choice you should be glorifying. Like homosexuality. And now he decided to double down and he's like, well, it's not just Murphy Brown, it's Hollywood. And he said, quote, They believe that moral truths are relative and all lifestyles are equal. They seem to think the family is an arbitrary arrangement of people who decide to live under the same roof, that fathers are dispensable, and that parents need not be married or even of opposite sexes. They're wrong. Oh my God. So what you now have, folks, is the culture wars. Because now the vice president of the United States is getting involved in what's going on. In television and media. And this is going to get just about every single Democrat in Hollywood really pissed off. So today you go like, wow, Hollywood seems to be very actively involved Mm -hmm. in politics. It always has to some extent. But this is what really kicked off Democratic fundraising, like nobody's business. Uh, Gary David Goldberg, the guy who created uh, things like Family Ties, he said, quote, I've never seen a time when people have responded this viscerally and taken the attacks so much to heart. Barry Diller, former chairman of Fox Incorporated, uh, he said, quote, it would take a dumbbell not to have this big a rock hit him and not think actively about politics this time around. It's not that this community acts with particular responsibility running through its pores, but to generically indict it is much more than questionable. This issue isn't cultural elitism. This issue really is what are the responsibilities of this community as it regards sex and violence. Those are valid issues deserving of an awful lot of thought. They deserve to be raised, but not this way. Not this way at all. And then finally, Marge Tabenkin, who was the executive director of the Hollywood Women's Political Committee, said, quote, the community feels targeted. It created a chill and a fear reminiscent of the 1950s. Let's face it, we feel we're being used as whipping boys. So now it's Quayle versus Hollywood. It's the Republicans versus the liberals. But Quayle is getting a lot of support for this. He gets support from people like Pat Robertson. He gets I was, I was, support I, from people like Phyllis Schlafly. He gets support from individuals who are saying, yes, the reason that we have riots and we have drugs is exactly what he's saying, which is that the moral fabric of society is decaying. And the thing that everybody looks at, which is Hollywood, is underlining that saying, yes, it's okay to be immoral. It's quite, it's okay to be gay. It's okay to be a single mom. It's okay to be have an interracial family. And that's what's throwing everything apart. It's easier to blame that, I think, than to like actually look at the root cause of what caused these riots. Now, here's where it's a little tough because Murphy Brown is off the air. It's on summer hiatus. They cannot respond to any of this, but they're going to have a lot to respond to. Because just a couple of weeks after Quail makes this verbal assault, he's going to be in a little hot water himself. Uh-oh. Time to get a stew going. we will tell you what happens to him after this.
2: This was a thing. This was a thing.
1: And now, this is a sketch. Spain. Coming to CBS this fall, it's Equal Time Wednesdays. Yes, we were unaware if we said something political, we had to offer the other side time to reply. We all make mistakes. But what's not a mistake is the hilarity that ensues this week on Equal Time Wednesdays. Over at The Nanny, Fran Fine is now not The Nanny, but employs one, and boy, does she get into hot water when The Nanny tricks her into thinking she's a naturalized citizen. Guest-starring Vicki Lawrence as a Hispanic woman named Maria Conchita Banana, offensive accent and all. Take that, PC America. Then at 8.30, it's the conservative odd couple where Oscar and Felix aren't divorced because they respect the family unit. Then at 9, it's the Republican Murphy Brown. Murphy, now played by Scott Baio, makes a mistake by buying into the Clinton agenda. But luckily, he and his wife prey on it. And at 9.30, join Christy Swanson, Melissa Joan Hart, and Patricia Heaton in this reboot of Charlie's Angels. No need to turn your volume up. These ladies are angels because they ain't talking and letting their men do all the thinking. Yes, CBS's Equal Time Wednesdays, where the comedy trickles down.
0: Thank you. This was a sketch. I want to take you to New Jersey. Ready to go? Yeah. Trenton, New Jersey. George Bush has a domestic program he's very proud of about increasing uh, education in the schools, and the program is called Weed and Seed. Weed and seed. It's sort of what I did Saturday night with my boyfriend. Weed and seed. (laughs) Get it? He's Uh, a botanist. uh, We love gardening. And they sent Dan Quayle to this school in Trenton, New Jersey for the weed and seed program. And they asked uh, Mr. Quayle, Vice President Quayle, would you be so kind as to be the master of ceremonies for our spelling bee? He's uh, running this spelling bee. And he asked little 12-year-old William Figueroa to come up to the board. And the word he has to spell on the board is potato. Can you spell potato? William Figueroa spells potato. He spells it correctly. And he goes to uh, sit back down, and Vice President Quayle says, Oh, no, no, wait a minute, little William. Got to add an E there. So it's spelled P-O-T-A-T-O-E. Now, of course, the press is in the classroom when this is happening. And soon, it is on just about every single TV station. It is on. Every single newspaper, front cover, every magazine, every comedian is making a joke. The vice president of the United States forced a kid to misspell a word that the kid spelled correctly. Now, could it be any worse? Yes, it can. Because privately, George Bush and his team are discussing, can they replace him on the ticket? Oh, wow. And the person that comes to the forefront of everyone's mind is Colin Powell, General Colin Powell, who said... Very openly, if they asked me to be the vice president, of course, I would be the vice president. But Bush, at the end of the day, it's his decision. And he said, I'm not going to take Dan off the ticket. And when they asked him why this was all private, this all has come yeah, out in yeah. later years. He said, because the press would crucify me. He's like, it was the first decision that I made and it was a bad decision. And if I go back on it, he's like, it's over. And in a way, he's right. He, in a way, he, he was right. But he decided we'll keep the guy on the whole summer is potato the whole summer is potato, and spelling potato incorrectly. It's the summer of potato! It's the summer of potato. Now remember, Murphy Brown is still not back on the air yet, so where are they going to like respond to all of this? And that is at the Emmy Awards, the 1992 Emmy Awards, where just about every single joke was about Dan Quayle, or about potatoes. Dennis Miller, who was hosting, said, quote, boy, quail is just getting stomped here. He better learn how to spell potato, because if the economy keeps going down the way it is, that's all we'll be eating. Diane English won an Emmy award and she said in her speech, quote, I'd like to thank our sponsors for hanging in there when it was getting really dangerous. I'd also like to thank in particular, all the single parents out there who either by choice or by necessity are raising the kids alone. Don't let anybody tell you you're not a family. As Murphy herself said, I couldn't possibly do a worse job raising my kid alone than the Reagans did with theirs. (laughs) And it's interesting because for this, this party of like you know family 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 ronald reagan was divorced mm-hmm. had two kids from his first marriage that apparently he ignored you know what i mean and then his kids had issues and his
1: son his son's like a, a devout atheist
0: his son's a devout atheist his daughter later posed for playboy oh really yeah george bush's sister was divorced raising her kids so it's kind of like this is so hypocritical now the next day Quayle is on the campaign trail he could easily have doubled down and he does. He says, quote, now, did y'all see at the Emmys last night? Did you see that my favorite TV show got a lot of awards? Now, Murphy Brown, listen closely, because I'm only going to say it once. You owe me big time. But I do want to make a serious point. Oh, my God. Last night, they said I attacked single mothers. That is a lie. Last night, they said that I believe single mothers and their children are not families. That is a lie. Winning an Emmy is not a license to lie. Hollywood doesn't like our values. Hollywood doesn't like our beliefs. Hollywood can go ahead and laugh at the American people. They can go ahead and lie about what I said, but I can tell you this. I'm going to continue to speak the truth. I am going to continue to speak up for traditional values, and I'm not going to back down. And then uh, Mr. Quayle's spokesman, David Beckworth, said, quote, Diane English is lying. She's distorting Quayle's remarks. If she's doing it because of her left-wing political beliefs, that would be one thing. But I think she's partially motivated by money and ratings, which is what seems to make Hollywood go. And today, when you wonder like where this modern divide happened, and here it is, you can look right at Murphy Brown and Dan Quayle. And maybe that was his intention all along. But let's take a look at what he had actually said. Right. Let's go back to what his quote. Do you want to hear the quote again?
1: Sure. It doesn't help matters when primetime TV has Murphy Brown, a character who supposedly epitomizes today's intelligent, Highly paid professional woman, mocking the importance of fathers
0: by bearing a child alone and calling it just another lifestyle choice. So what is he saying? He's saying that you need a father, you need a traditional family. What I'm hearing is is that you're a single mother and he says supposedly, which I find interesting.
1: I feel like I'm still stuck on two like him he didn't, saying I mean, mocking
0: uh, mocking. She's not mocking it. No. She's not saying look look what I'm doing. I'm I'm having you know, I'm having the time of my life raising a baby by myself or having this baby by myself. She's not saying that. And she's not saying the father is indispensable. She's not saying that.
1: I just feel like Dan Quayle just assumed that Candace Bergen was like looking at the camera going like, neener,
0: neener, neener. I don't need a dad. Oh, absolutely. You know what and I mean? He, like he, he had no idea. And he admitted he'd never watched the show before. Yeah. I will say, yes, he did not. He did not say like verbatim, single mothers are bad. But what he's implying, I think, is it's not a family. It's not a whole family. Mm-hmm. You know, just because you have the mother and you have the child doesn't mean you have a whole family. A whole family is a mother, a father and a child. And that's not what you have. Mm -hmm. And because you don't have that, that's what's causing all of these problems. So he might not have said it in these exact words, but if it walks like a duck and talks like a duck. It's a quail. There you go. Thank you. But Murphy finally got a chance to respond in one of the most brilliant meta television moments in history. September 21st, 1992. It's the first episode of the new season of Murphy Brown. Seventy million people. I going to say, I bet there was a big have tuned in to watch the two parts. Seventy million people tuned in, including Dan Quayle, who watched with a group of single mothers oh in Washington, mostly God. mostly black. And I've never seen anyone look so uncomfortable. And to celebrate, he did send Murphy Brown a stuffed elephant doll for little Avery Brown. Good. And the writers came up with the most brilliant way, I think of being able to react to Dan Quayle, and also react to what his message was. Here's what they decided to do. The first episode starts off, it's Murphy in her house. She looks like shit. She's got like baby formula and diapers everywhere. She looks horrible, and she's sitting there with her friend Frank, and Frank is going to relax, so he turns on the news. And when he turns on the news, this is what he sees.
2: Today in a speech focusing on the American family, Vice President Dan Quill had some strong comments on what he termed a poverty of values, citing Murphy Brown as an example. The speech what? part of a West Coast was campaign that that swing was delivered in the Commonwealth of California.
0: Commonwealth Club luncheon, the LA riots happened because of disintegrating family values. It
1: doesn't help matters when primetime TV has Murphy Brown, a character
0: supports- so that's how it's it starts with it, which is brilliant, because he didn't say the show Murphy Brown, he said Murphy Brown, and because her character's name is Murphy Brown, they could easily slide it wow. in. So then the then the, what it is is first of all, it's ridiculing him the whole time. One of the great lines that I think her friend Frank says is, "Listen, he goes, no one's even going to care about this. He's like tomorrow he's going to get his head stuck in a golf bag. He's like, and no one's going to care about this. Now imagine Quayle is sitting there watching this yeah, with those single moms." Then the whole rest of the episode one, which they do, which I think Diane English and the writers do brilliantly is one is they establish this is not a whimsical decision because I think they felt that there would probably be a lot of people who were tuning in to watch that probably had not watched the show before. And so to get them up to date, which is this is not a decision I took lightly. She says, oh, brilliant. I couldn't get in for a facial, so I'm going to have a baby. No, she got pregnant. The father didn't want to be a part of it. She easily could have had an abortion and not disrupted her life. And she chose to have this baby, which is what I think, isn't that what the, the Republican Party yeah. wants? If it works for in their favor, sure. Yes. And the show was fine. It didn't need, I mean, and I, the thing that I did my research on because I was curious was I thought, well, maybe Candace Bergen was pregnant and they wrote that in to accommodate yeah. her pregnancy. She wasn't. So this was a ca- this was the decision to have the character go through this pregnancy which I think is actually kind of they weren't being forced to do this no, is yeah, what yeah, I'm yeah. saying which I think is pretty bold. And so the first part of the episode covers this was not a light decision. The last part of the episode it so perfectly articulates what they had been waiting to say, I think, since the first time it happened, since the first time he made the quote. And so they put Murphy on her news broadcast, and she's going to give commentary. And while she talks, she's surrounded by single mothers with their children. And these were, these were not actors. These were actually single mothers and children. And this is the speech that she made, and I feel like you could just change what she's talking about And it could apply to all the things that are going on today. Some things never change. This war is still going on. Murphy Brown might be gone. Dan Quayle might be gone. But this debate that he triggered is still happening today. Mm -hmm. Family values. This was Murphy Brown's response.
3: Good evening and welcome to FYI. For your information tonight, we focus on a subject that has become the center of a national debate. To begin, we turn to reporter Murphy Brown.
2: Thank you, Jim. The American family and American values. This reporter has a unique perspective on the topic, because in a recent speech, Vice President Quayle used me as an example of the poverty of values in this country and implied that I was a poor role model for our nation's youth. While some might argue that attacking my status as a single mother was nothing more than a cynical bit of election year posturing, I prefer to give the Vice President the benefit of the doubt. These are difficult times for our country, and in searching for the causes of our social ills, we could choose to blame the media, or the Congress, or an administration that's been in power for 12 years, or we could blame me. And while I will admit that my inability to balance a checkbook may have had something to do with the collapse of the savings and loan industry, (laughs) I doubt that my status as a single mother has contributed all that much to the breakdown of Western civilization. But tonight's program should not be simply about blame. The Vice President says he felt it was important to open a dialogue about family values, and on that point we agree. Unfortunately, It seems that for him the only acceptable definition of a family is a mother, a father, and children. And in a country where millions of children grow up in non-traditional families, that definition seems painfully unfair. Perhaps it's time for the Vice President to expand his definition and recognize that whether by choice or circumstance families come in all shapes and sizes, and ultimately what really defines a family is commitment, caring and love with that in mind i'd like to introduce you to some people who might not fit into the vice president's vision of a family but they consider themselves families nonetheless they work they struggle they hope for the kind of life for their children that we all want for our children and these are the people we should be paying attention to welcome to fyi would you introduce yourself please yes i'm mary bailey and this is my daughter Cameron.
0: Hello.
2: And you, ma'am? Uh, I'm Nadine, and this is my son, Manuel. Hello. And
0: you, sir? A couple of months later, the election happens. Bill Clinton and Al Gore are elected. Diane Quayle and George Bush are leave office, would be prudent now at this juncture for them to go. And it seemed that this backfired. Sure does. For their campaign. However, it's still an issue that we're talking yeah. about today. Now, Quayle faded into pretty much obscurity and Murphy Brown went off the air I believe in 1998 once again that show like I said is not repeated too much today because it is so entrenched in its time doesn't really resonate today the humor was so topical in 2018 though after Donald Trump was elected Diane English decided to bring the show back they did a reboot that was only also was not very good and didn't last very long but then Dan Quayle, the man that everybody had written off, ended up saving democracy because when Trump asked Mike Pence to overturn the election, Mike Pence's first call was to Dan Quayle. And Dan Quayle said, you can't do that. You cannot, cannot, cannot do that. So if we still have democracy today, we can thank Dan Quayle. If we're still having an argument about Hollywood elitists versus flyover states, we can thank Dan Quayle. If we're still talking about what the traditional family values are. We can thank Dan Quayle. Now, he might have been a stupid man. He might have been an inarticulate man. He might have been many, many things, but he was very, very smart because in 1992, he kept the entire nation talking about the only Brown the Republicans wanted to talk about. Avery Brown from Murphy Brown. That's that, my friends.
1: I can imagine the text thread between Mike Pence and uh, Dan Quayle. And Dan Quayle's like, there's he's like, he's like, there's nothing in the Constitution that says this, but the Constitution has an E at the
0: end. <laughs> oh, I think I'm reading the wrong thing. I just would have wished I could have been a fly on the wall for when he had to sit down with those single families and watch that first episode. Oh, my God. Fly on the hair. That was his. <laughs> that was his punishment. Ah, the game of politics. Speaking of games, Ray. Oh, good segue. Hey, Mark, do you want to come in and play a game?
3: This was a thing and now it's a quiz. This
2: is a This Was a Quiz.
0: With Mark Schroeder. Mark, did you watch Murphy Brown growing up? Were you aware of this, Mark? I was aware of Murphy
3: Brown. Did your aware grandparents of watch it? Mark. Uh, I would check in with my grandparents, and they would give me weekly updates. Yeah, <laughs> Candace, this week. Woo. I also didn't, you know, I didn't really know too much about Dan Quayle. I thought, whatever. He sure put his foot in his mouth with this one, didn't he? Did. he? This He's was not a real... fan of American politics, huh? Mm, yeah, <laughs> Dan Quayle saved democracy, sir. Oh, sorry. Oh God, this is a pro pro yeah. Quayle podcast. It's pro Quayle. It's a, <laughs> yeah. it's a, pro-quail. It's pro-quail. a Quayle podcast.
1: Yeah it's a Dan Quail Stan and quail hunting show.
3: Oh, my God. It's all things quail. Welcome back to Quailcast. (laughs) Uh, It was funny, though, because he was basically essentially trying to say the importance of the father figure, and and it just came off sounding really, really bad. But he obviously doesn't count the fact that there's a lot of famous shitty fathers out there in the whole world. So let's learn about a few in a little game called Deadbeat Dads. Oh, Oh, okay. (laughs) So Rob, Ray, you're going to be working together on this one. So I'm going to read a clue about a famously bad father. You two are going to work together to answer. All right. Number one, this singer-songwriter was shot to death by his father on April 1st, 1984. Marvin Gaye. That was Marvin Gaye. Scientists believe that today, 16 million men in the world carry the DNA of this leader. Genghis Khan. That is correct. Really? I didn't know that. Shaka's dad. Yeah, Shaka. Genghis Genghis Khan Genghis Khan Genghis Khan Genghis Khan yeah. <laughs> this actor famously cheated on his girlfriend Sienna Miller with his children's nanny in 2005 Jude Law mm-hmm. oh did he really? <laughs> yeah <laughs> he's had like six kids with four different women and just cheating on he, I always yeah. thought he was gay he's not gay apparently I think he's doing this to prove everybody he's he's not gay he's, yeah. he's, yeah. he's, he's like, doing all these steps Absolutely. to throw yes. people yes. off yeah. the scent yes. but he'll play Dumbledore though <laughs> yeah yeah right In 2009, this Terminator franchise actor required supervised visits with his son after his ex-wife filed court documents alleging that their son tested positive for cocaine in his system at the age of six. Would it be Edward Furlong? It is Edward Furlong. Ooh, the kid had cocaine? Apparently, yeah. What the fuck is wrong with people? In 2007, this actor was filmed drunkenly by his daughter eating a burger while shirtless on his bathroom floor. The Hoff. Yeah, oh
1: yeah. The Hoff. That is a video. The Hoff. (laughs) That is a (laughs) sad video. Yeah, Yeah,
3: that is a very sad video. Also in 2007, in a leaked 2007 voicemail, this actor can be heard calling his 11-year-old daughter a rude, thoughtless little pig. That would be... Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin. And who would have thought that would just be... Yeah, low on the list of yes, things that can we talk in about
1: life. Can we talk about the pig thing again? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah.
3: The Jackson Five and the Jackson family are originally from what U.S. city? Detroit, right? Gary, no. Indiana. Gary, Indiana, Gary, Indiana. Really? Gary, I didn't know that. Yeah,
1: that's one of those little factoids I remembered because I thought of the song.
3: Uh, mm-hmm. He is Macaulay, Rory, and Kiernan's abusive, overreaching father. Mr. Culkin. Yeah, there it is. Uh, Adam. David. Kit. Oh. Kit Colkin, Brother huh. to Bonnie Bedelia. Oh. Yeah. Huh. Her mother, Amelia. Oh, yeah. <laughs> She's the, the maid that you fired and rehired and fired and rehired. <laughs> this world-famous crooner and alleged abusive father established a blind trust in which none of his children received any inheritance until they reached the age of 65. I think it's Bing Crosby. That's Bing. Bing went with a you... social security route on that one. Yes, yeah. <laughs> You're not getting a cent. Fuck my kids. <laughs> Most of life is
0: behind you. Do you know the story about when his house was burning down and he sent the kids back in to get his golf clubs? No. Yeah, his his house was on fire and he was a huge golfer and he made the kids. (laughs) What's the effect? He goes, "Go back in and get daddy's (laughs) clubs." Oh oh my god! (laughs) The kids had to run back to the fire (laughs) to get his golf clubs.
3: From 2008 until November 12th, 2021, he was the primary conservator. Of Britney Spears' assets. That would be Jamie Spears. That is Jamie Spears. That is correct. And Jamie Lynn is named after Jamie Spears and Lynn Spears, her parents. Interesting how that, yeah, that when they make choices for a later born child yeah. to really honor them, it's like, what happened to the, why didn't you put that yeah. effort into the oldest one? Yeah. I
1: always think it's odd, like, I'm a second... But it's always weird to me when there's like a couple sons born before they're like, you know what?
3: This is the namesake, right? Oh, this is the junior. Yeah.
1: Like, wait, what? What happened?
3: What about the other two? Uh, We could tell from the look in their infant eyes. They weren't going to amount to much. So I didn't want to bless them with my eyes. I think you guys cleaned house on that one. Yes. You completely cleaned it. You guys
0: know you're really shitty fathers. (laughs) Great. Great. Ray, where can people find us if they want to reach out?
1: Oh, Instagram, this was a Thing Pod, our website, www.ThisWasAThing.com. or you can go on patreon.com slash this was a thing. Old Lucy level five dollars a month gets you exclusive content every other week. Oh
0: boy, is it exclusive. And starting next month, if you are in the South Korea area, go see Ray in Dream Girls. <laughs> yes. He's <laughs> gonna be fantastic. We'll you'll post nev- a video on will never leave you. Yeah, it will never leave you. All right, friends. Till next time. Bye.
1: Thanks for listening to This Was a Thing. And a big thanks to the folks that keep this show running. Our editor, Daniel Cutcut Schwartzberg. Our composer, Billy Better Than DC Reese, Our social media director, Gabe Hashtag Crawford. Our graphic designer, Natalie's Nothing's Too Graphic, to Savia. And finally, our games coordinator, Mark the Shark Schroeder. If you liked what we did today, make sure to head on over to iTunes to rate and review us. The more stars you leave us the more love we feel. Hey, speaking of love, show us some social media love. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at ThisWasAThingPod and Facebook we are ThisWasAThingPodcast. Reach out, we'd love to hear from you. And if you really liked what we did today, head on over to Patreon.com and become one of our sponsors and you'll get access to special episodes, interviews, and merch. That's Patreon. Search ThisWasAThing and support us so we can keep doing this show.